That's the island of Alcatraz. There's a man leaving there today after 17 years imprisonment. His name is Robert Stroud. He spent most of his life behind bars, including 43 years in solitary confinement. He has never used a telephone or driven an automobile. The last time he broke bread with another human being was in 1916, the year Kaiser Wilhelm ordered the sinking of the Lusitania in World War I. My name is Tom Gaddis. I wrote a book about this man. This is the Masters of Cinemacast. My name is Joachim. And my name's Tom. And we are back. I think it's been about 14 months since our last recording or something. It has been a long hiatus, for sure. Um, I thought we could talk about just... um, uh, Or I really wanted to talk about the circumstances of... uh, Yeah. uh, What's been happening. Um, I listened to... We released... uh, This is going up. uh, Or we're recording this the day after our private homes... uh, Private Life of Sherlock Holmes episode went up, and I listened briefly to the uh, the first like twenty minutes of that episode, um, where we were, I think we were quite harsh on the Master Cinema label. Um, oh yes, I I uh, I, I would concur. <laughs> when I was listening back to it, I was like, oh god, that does sound a little bit bitchy. Yes, um, I think um, my life at that time was uh, quite uh, hectic and. Um, making time for watching movies in general was a difficult thing. Um, I was going through a difficult stage in my relationship and we have since split and I've I've moved home for six months and then I bought an apartment now and I've changed jobs three times, I think. Um, it's been quite an upheaval in my personal life and this podcast for me is something that I I need energy to do it. I need motivation to do it uh, and it's not something that I can prioritize when everything else is uh, kind of shit you know no totally um it's one of those things I go through phases um where you don't well I just don't watch films I don't have time to watch films and uh, sometimes life does tend to get in the way um and I think it was, I, it was kind of a similar situation for me I suppose last year I was having terrible problems at work uh, my house which was being renovated uh, had to kind of all work had to be shut down because the person doing it got cancer so I was absolutely living in a bit of a mess really Mm. I had fireplaces that had been ripped out which hadn't gone back in Um, literally electrical wire hanging down from places the entire contents of my house were in my bedroom Mm. Um, and it was yeah it was just a pain in the ass and it was just sort of if if I wanted to watch films I'd have to do it from behind boxes you know it's just a complete (laughs) nightmare basically and then I I, 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 like you have joined the singles club so I had that kind of going on where it was personal life upheaval and yeah you have to be in the mood to do this type of thing Um, you have to obviously set some time aside watch films get your you know get some ideas down and all that kind of thing and if you've got too much else going on it does sort of take a back seat mm-hmm. which you know anyway it's definitely i mean i, I never for once thought we weren't going to come back it was just one of those let everything kind of settle down and like you know save your situation i mean changing jobs in of itself is an absolute nightmare sometimes especially if you change jobs and then on day one you just sat there thinking what on earth have i done it's the worst yes. it's the worst feeling oh. and we've all done it <laughs> I think um, that was probably the lowest point uh, during last year. When I first day of my job, I was thinking, fuck me, this is not what I want to do with my life. And most of the people at that workplace uh, were not people I got along with. Um, so it, it was a tough three months. Um, luckily, now I'm in my dream job, which unfortunately only lasts until July. Um, but um, things are definitely a lot better for me now. So, oh, good stuff. Well, and we'll, we'll, um, we we can swap. We might do. A, we can swap tales on the podcast as well about dating nightmares. Yes, because I'm, I'm saying I'm sending this to listeners now. If you're in a long-term relationship and you are thinking about, I don't know, should I bother? Are we? Get that thought out of your head, because trust me, <laughs> be miserable, you know, put up with it. Even if you cannot stand the sight of each other anymore, <laughs> that is better than the world of online dating. Good Which Lord. I've discovered is, I, I, I don't think I've ever witnessed anything like it. It used to be, now call me old fashioned, but you met someone out 
or you met you worked with them or something like that and now it's this sort of it's another reason to be constantly glued to your phone and in light of this thing now on my iphone that tells me how much time i'm spending on it a day mm. it's actually even more terrifying than normal so you have to go and it's it, it's the most soul destroyingly bleak thing <sighs> ever and i i think i think i might just become a monk and dedicate <laughs> the rest of my life to the worship of tom jennings i think that's sort of the, the direction i'm feeling i should go in at the moment yeah I, i'm in a position now where i i think if um if certain arrangements now do not work out i need a break um i think um <laughs> i think that um you get caught up in that sort of dream that you really need to find someone fast and you don't yes. really take breaks from the dating world and just live your life um i think that's where i'm at, where i'm at uh, at this point where uh, i don't want to get into anything new Uh, except the ones I'm trying out that, uh, right about now. So, yeah. Well, I think where I'm going wrong is that I have to be honest from the outset and say, you will never, ever mean more to me than my cats. <laughs> and to some people, that's incredibly off-putting. And it's like, I, I really, what I really want to say is you'll never be like more than fourth on my list of priorities behind the cats, mm. films and Crystal Palace. And <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm fast learning in, I, I don't think being brutally honest really is helping my cause at the moment. But, Perhaps you know, not. And, my, <laughs> and my model looks are fading. You know, I'm getting older, but I'm getting older by the year. You know what I mean? It's like, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I just want something to go on holiday with, basically. That's the long down of it. Yeah. I'm thinking that um, it's a bonus if I find someone. If not, I'm perfectly happy being alone. Uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty good life we can live. So yeah, yeah exactly. And you get to yeah do what you want and whatnot. But exactly, we shall see. We'll keep we'll keep listeners uh, updated as to how we're getting on. Yes, I'm sure they'll be really interested. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I thought we could. Um, I thought it was important to talk about this because of the. Um, sort of negative comments we had uh, during the last yes. episode and it had nothing to do with us uh, our enthusiasm for the releases um no. 2018 for master cinema was quite an interesting year and i thought that it started 2019 strong as well so yeah for sure uh, there's been some really interesting releases and um you know it's given us plenty of material to get through yeah. in in later episodes which is obviously a great thing absolutely um but today we are talking about birdman of alcatraz Birdman of Alcatraz. A strange name for a motion picture? Perhaps. But it's the story of one of the strangest men who ever lived. A real story. A real man. A man who is living today. Robert Stroud. American. A convict. Yet, in his achievement, in his fierce independence, he reflects the ideals of the country whose laws he shattered. You know, I think I've got you figured out, Shoemaker. First day I came here, you as much as asked me to give it down on my knees and whip her. I wouldn't do it then, I won't do it now. I posed a question to you, what film did you want to start off with? And you chose this one. Could you tell us a little something about that? Uh, two reasons. Um, one, it was a John Frankenheimer film. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of John Frankenheimer. And number two was having been to Alcatraz hmm. uh, before, I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be an escape from Alcatraz <laughs> film. Uh, it's going to be a prison break film. And I, I recognize all these places. And for the second time in, in, in quite recently, um, I went into with a certain expectations of a film. And then within 15 minutes, I was like, ah. This, this isn't a prison break film no. from Alcatraz. It's something completely different. And that was great because then I sort of put it to myself, well, do, did I really need another break out prison from Alcatraz? And the answer to that was really no. So instead I sat down for a two and a half hour, um, I would probably say essay on social justice mm. is how I kind of came out of this film. But yeah, primarily my thing that attracted me to it was John Frankenheimer. I've never seen it. That was the, the kind of the main motivation. Mm. Um, it's uh, it was released in 1962. I had a look at Frankenheimer's uh, filmography, and this I think came out the same year as Manchurian Candidate and another film which was unknown to me. All All Out or. Uh, All Fall Down, yeah, which also features Carl Malden, actually. Um, but he, he really hit the road running um, when he first made the move from TV in the 50s to cinema in the 60s. 
Oh, certainly. I mean, there are some classics in there for cert, for sure. I mean, the Manchurian can- Candidate, obviously. The Train as well. I don't know if you've ever seen yes. that. That's a really good film, in which I really enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Um, also featuring Pro- Lancaster, so... Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, as, as I was thinking, I, I own it on Blu-ray. I was actually thinking about watching it after we watch this. Mm. Uh, after, oh, sorry, after we finish talking about this. But um, Grand Prix as well, which I think yeah. is one of my favourite... Uh, of the, the huge cinerama films um absolutely love it i've just recently picked up the saw bass poster from that as well actually and it's a you know fantastic piece of artwork but yeah he's he this was i mean he was at his peak of his powers i think mm. in the 60s um i recently actually tried to watch ronin again and i could only ah. handle about an hour of it which was a strange one because i seem to remember really liking it when it came out but I, um, it was one of the, it was one of the first DVDs I ever bought as well, Ronin, and I mm. kind of picked up the Blu-ray of it, and I went back and I was like, oh no, it, it doesn't quite uh, hold up as much as I thought it was. But yeah, there's some absolutely great stuff in there. Um, like I said, I mean, your kind of seconds is obviously one of your favourite films, yes, isn't it? Absolutely, um, and it's interesting because Frankenheimer as a director in in Birdman of Alcatraz is largely invisible. Um, when you compare it to something like Seconds, where he is much more um, front and center with the techniques, with the storytelling. Uh, This lets the story take front row, really. I did actually think it was unmistakably a John Frankenheimer film. Okay. Um, I really, I mean, I I was thinking this when I was watching it, uh, that no one makes characters seem quite as huge as he does. And I don't, I mean, I was watching it um, on the projector and some of those sort of low angle mm-hmm. kind of uh, clothing, everything's kind of in quite a tight framing, obviously, because of the nature of this film, it's being set in a prison. But um, in those kind of tight frames, he kind of ever does these kind of medium close ups just from kind of like waist height. Yeah. And the characters seem absolutely huge on screen and it's something i've always thought about it was certainly his stuff from the 1960s is yeah he always makes his characters seem so much more large enough they literally feel like giants and i don't know whether it's that kind of tv um framing kind of aesthetic that he's come to certainly i mean i mean you look at grand prix is a huge huge widescreen film this hmm. is obviously a lot tighter and a lot more claustrophobic to a degree but i i, I really could detect the hands of john frankenheimer on this to me, I think actually some of the directorial kind of flair that I saw in the film actually carried it through some of the parts of it that I thought were slightly dragging. Mm. From what I could come across, uh, there was a British director, Charles Crichton, who was originally set to direct the film. Um, I think they finished first cut of the film, from what I can understand. And then Frankenheimer was brought in after the director clashed with Lancaster about what type of movie it was. Um, and I think they reshot the first half of the film, at least, uh, from what I can understand. Uh, Lancaster and um, Frank and I, but they worked together previously on The Young Savages, which was Frank and I's cinematic debut, I think, in 61. Um, but um, have you heard about this British director, Charles Crichton? No, I wasn't aware of that, actually. No, no. no. Uh, I never heard of him either. I think he uh, made... It was um, quite a surprise uh, that he was given um, this type of film. From what I could understand from his filmography, he had made more of those British um, social realist films or something. Um, So it was quite a a step up from what he was used to. But... um, And sometimes I guess like um, when you bring, when you kind of import foreign directors over to America, it's a completely different way of working. Yes. Um, and I could imagine someone like Burt Lancaster is going to be. You have to have experience and know how to handle. He is quite hands-on, like, from what I can yeah, understand. Yeah, and 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 I, I think I think he's someone who's going to. In I think you're going to shoot the film around his performance. I think it's, mm. you know he's one of those kind of actors who probably take everything I've seen him in. He really kind of tends to take over mm. the screen, and I, I can imagine if you unfamiliar with that type of situation and you suddenly find yourself parachuted into it and you're working with people and you know star power isn't it yeah. you know if the, if the star's going to the producers and saying look i'm not liking this i don't think it's working for the film end of the day they're not going to drop the star they're going to kick off the dude they've brought in to shepherd the project through it i mean it's quite interesting i'll certainly look that up afterwards mm. um the birdman it's a film about um robert stroud who is imprisoned 
at a young age for committing murder in Alaska. I think from what I can understand, he was a pimp who killed a man who was beating one of his prostitutes. And he it was angled as a sort of justifiable murder. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I think something, <laughs> I mean, one thing that I would say from the off about this film is that um, there's an entire... It, there's an entire story that's not being told yes. about this guy, and it is very conveniently um, pushing that aside. And I, I was thinking when I was watching it that the prison film always tends to kind of go down the route of allegory. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they take it's a you know, through line through um, through all of them. I think you can see elements of it there, especially if you watch things like mm. you know, a man escaped and the Shawshank Redemption and that kind of thing. Mm. And this one, they've kind of gone for this idea that he's the it's. He's, I guess he's kind of like, yeah, like you said, it's the justifiable homicide. It's society locking up a man who's kind of done a good thing by this. It's, 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 there's, there's a nobility almost to what he's done. You know, this guy's beating on a woman and he's kind of gone there. But, mm, you know, <laughs> I, instantly I, I think, um, well, okay, well, for the sake of the film, I'll go along with it. But I'm going to kind of reserve my judgment of the man himself, I think. Yeah. Breaking that train window was a serious offense. It was hot. I was thinking of my lungs. Did you think about the possible consequences? You might have started a riot. Even a convict's got a right to breathe. Right? I don't think you know the meaning of the word. In 1909 in Alaska, you appointed yourself judge, jury, and executioner and killed one Charles Donner because he allegedly beat up a friend named Katie Malone, a prostitute. Stroud, you were transferred here to Leavenworth because of an inferior record. Now, I propose to give you a fresh start. Such rights as you will enjoy are listed here in my rules and regulations. There are 86 of them. I suggest you memorize them. I know them. They're the same in all pens. They tell you when to eat, when to sleep, when to go to the privy. Precisely. And what you'll do for every minute, 24 hours a day. You're going to be here for nine long years, Stroud. So with or without your cooperation, I intend to make a man of you before you check out these gates. You'll conform to our ideas of how you should behave. You'll learn the lesson now or you'll learn it five years from now, but you'll learn. One of the biggest problems for me was exactly the contradiction between the the message that the film wants to send and the story it is trying to tell. Um, and how the the real life story is such a different one that it sort of seeps through whether they wanted to or not. Um, I never really bought that the character that they are trying to serve me, the one that is um, a justifiable, um, he's sort of these uh, this mild mannered, rational sweetheart um, who is unbreakable in his morals. And that, uh, that kind of positive portrayal of Stroud just, it got me off on the wrong foot from the get-go. Um, yeah, I, it, I, I struggled with it. And the, 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 it's like you say, the thing that kind of got me was, is that essentially the film wants him to be a cipher by which yeah. we can explore like the inherent decency of man. We can look at what prison means. And I mean, we're going to talk, obviously, I think we've pretty go, got a lot more into that subject. Mm. But, you know, what is prison? What's it there for? You know, mm. can someone change, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have to also kind of deal with the fact that he stabs a guard to death. Mm. I mean, all right. And, and the, the situation with the guard is that obviously the guard's obviously a complete job's worth. And, you know, he's going to stop him from seeing his mum and all that kind of thing. But he still murders him. It's, it's mm. not something that someone should pay with their life for. You shoot me on report, I won't get no visit from my mother. You should have thought of that before. She came 2,000 miles. All the way from Alaska. Do me this one thing. I just follow the rules. I get back to your seat. Tell you I got to see her. And I told you to get back to your seat. You ain't a man, Kramer. You're a dog puke. 
I, I think the idea of, of the film is that we sort of see him in this stage and he's a hothead, isn't he? And he's beating people up. Anyone who sort of comments on his mother mm-hmm. gets a bit of a slap and a kick in. That's a theme and, in and of itself, the relationship with yes. his mother. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ever so slightly problematic relationship with the mother. Um, and yeah, you know, he's, he's this hothead. He goes around and obviously we, can't, we kind of see his redemption. Mm. But you also think to yourself, you know, again, you, I found it hard to sort of separate the fact that this was obviously a real person. Mm. I mean, Strode actually, um, Lancaster actually met him. The guy was alive mm. whilst this film was being made. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like this is something, you know, something's happened in the past. And I felt there was such a degree of whitewashing that, yeah, I too was struggling, I think, to reconcile the fact that I should find this guy so sympathetic when he is a multiple murderer. Yeah, exactly. And also the fact that they don't really deal with that contradiction or that schism between uh, a man who is a murderer and the man that Lancaster really wants him to be. Uh, It's never really dealt with those two sides of the character, um, which left me with a feeling that I really don't believe in the character as a human being, but more as an acting vehicle for Lancaster. Because Lancaster plays him as well Mm -hmm. with this kind of earnestness, you know, that this sort of, I'm just this guy who's locked up and I'm really a closet genius when it comes to (laughs) fixing birds. And I'm really, you know, and there's, there's a lot of scenes as well. I don't know if you noticed, but especially when like the Carl Morden character comes to, to see him where it kind of gets a bit thicker with me, where, mm. like, they would have, like, the shadows of bars cast on their faces, and when it would cut back to Lancaster, it would be completely clear, you know, yeah, yeah. his face was kind of lit up, and it was kind of like, stop sanctifying mm. this man, because you're trying too hard with me. Mm. And, like like you said, it, it, it just started to niggle all the time, that it was this sort of, this guy is a beacon of virtue. The system is fundamentally against him, mm. Obviously, you know, because we know that he's going to, he was going to be executed, and his mother went off and managed to get his sentence commuted to life imprisonment. But I don't think the film, got, but it's trying to say something. The film, and I don't think it's letting anything else get out of the way of saying that thing. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, but at one point, I I think that's the first about half an hour of the film where I'm really struggling with. The two stories that are being told or the two stories that is in the film but after he finds that bird in the rain and takes it in it takes a different turn for me that's when i i can leave the um the murder story behind and get to know stroud as this um, biology genius <laughs> as you said uh, the man who loved birds um, yeah, I, I think I sort of reconciled f- f- my, my kind of feeling in the film at that point became like, it just became like a fantasy yeah. for me. It just became, I kind of dispensed with the kind of the baggage of it being a true life story mm. and just sort of went along with the kind of the, the imagery itself becomes quite surreal where you have this kind of, you know, a tiny prison cell when he turns it into an aviary, mm-hmm. essentially. And I think it's really worth talking about one thing which I was absolutely massively impressed with was the fact that the animals were real yes. and his interactions with them. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Where did you get that bird? Found him in the exercise yard, sir. Just put your finger on his feet. What kind of a bird is that? Sparrow. Why, of course, yeah. Well, it must have taken great patience to train them. I admire that. And I can keep him, sir? I don't see why not. You? You're the warden now, Jess. It's up to you. I think it'll be permitted. I don't take advantage, Stroud. I wouldn't think of it, sir. Because I was wondering how he's going to do it, and I thought we were going to get some kind of god-awful sort of, like, you know, <laughs> robotic attempts yeah, at yeah. trying to make fake birds. But obviously, they went to the bother of training the bird, well, getting him to kind of bond with the birds. Mm. And the interactions with them are so natural mm-hmm. that you, you completely buy into it. Like, he's the way he handles them, the way he feeds them, everything, this kind of... Yeah, he becomes like this kind of, like, Dr. Doolittle-type figure. Yeah. And I, I found... I, I completely bought into it. I thought there were really kind of honest moments where if you think that's all you've got in your life is literally those four walls, you can either 
go mental or you can fill your mind mm. with this this kind of newfangled uh, obsession that he develops and i was completely i completely bought into it and i mean yeah, I, was, I got completely swept along with it yeah the cinematography in those scenes are absolutely amazing there's uh, certain like pans and shots where you think that everything is pre-planned and it looks so meticulous and yes there's a certain point where it feels like the bird is acting when it's standing on a ledge and he's yeah. asking it to like fly to his hand and it's it's looking doubtful and the camera just catches everything in the perfect frame um it, it, it was highly impressive absolutely yeah. totally and that's when you um when you think about like you know set pieces in films mm. one you always tend to kind of believe you know huge vistas and all that kind of thing and cars crashing and like you said it is literally the creating of dramatic tension from a sparrow flying from a windowsill yeah. which can only be three feet away from <laughs> someone's hand and yet yeah like you say he manages to kind of create genuine suspense from it mm. and it's why i think it is i mean one of the i think it's why i think it's so impressively directed because it, it never felt visually boring mm. to me at all i always felt there was something interesting to look at i like i I love the fact that he was able to create really an insight into the mind of Stroud, which was this kind of his world in it, albeit a very, very confined space. Mm. I think um, after about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, that's when I was, I kind of stopped and tried to figure out why am I not as captured by this movie anymore? Um, because uh, at that point, he's adopting these birds he's training them um and i think it's the repetition of those themes that go on for the last hour and a half that just makes me feel like where is this film actually going besides trying to prove that nature versus nurture point which is hammered home again and again and again it is not a subtle film no at all and it isn't a typical prison film either typically prison films are about physically escaping, aren't they? That seems to be the recurring theme. Yeah, this is an escape of another kind. It's an escape, I suppose, in a way of a, you know, someone who. It's a liberation been... more than an escape, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. And it's this sort of the fact that at the, the start of the film he's beating the crap out of people, mm. and at the end he, you know, it's him versus the system in another way, where he's trying to. It becomes about you know inmate rights mm. and what 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 is prison, and I think. It's not a subtle film at all. I think it wears its heart on its sleeve. It's definitely trying to make a point. Um, and it's one which I, you know, I, I certainly, when I was watching it, it was kind of resonating with me. I was thinking about it on those terms. I was quite surprised, I have to say, when I checked to see how long was left. And I was like, Jesus, it's two and a half hour film. You know, how, how can we, you know, where is this really going to go? But I felt that there isn't there didn't seem quite enough tension in the him versus the system mm. story for me i think it was this sort of he was kind of white he was kind of grind, grinding people down with his aff, you know how affable he was mm. and how kind he was and it tries to kind of change gear when we get um what was the lady's name stella comes his business stella comes into the film and you're sort of thinking i i, I thought it was going to kind of change dramatically when that happened mm -hmm. And I didn't think it really did all that much. I think she just kind of, I mean, she, she was basically a kind of a mother substitute for him, which yeah. I'd be, yeah, there was certainly a kind of a... Um, we can get into that well, she, relationship yeah, now yeah. because yeah, yeah. that's one of the themes in the film that I found really interesting, how Stroud, it feels like he, his relationship with his mother is quite interesting. She comes across as someone who is quite saintly and loving and heroic in the in the beginning of the film the mother and she yes. ends up as this bitter cold possessive like shrew and i was thinking that her kind of drop in stroud's stature it coincides with or perhaps it's caused by his his journey to become a more warm intelligent um, humane man and he replaces, he sort of replaces his mother with another mother uh, or another woman, uh, replaces an authority figure with a partner or perhaps an admirer of his. 
Yeah, it's it's the, the thing I got from the mother was that, like you said, like she acts like a jilted lover mm-hmm. when he eventually kind of you know when he does sort of when when what happens happens and there's the whole kind of you know she refuses to, she she refuses to give a character witness for him or something doesn't she in the end or something like that. Miss Stroud, Miss Stroud, my name is Peterson. I'm a reporter from the Kansas City Star. My paper wants a follow-up story on your son's marriage. No comment. Well, does this uh, so-called marriage come as a surprise to you, Miss Stroud? I knew nothing of it. Well, your son's parole hearing will be coming up soon. Who will lead the fight this time, you or Stella Johnson? There will be no fight. Wait a minute, uh, Mrs. Stroud. What do you mean, there'll be no fight? Stroud. Just what does that mean? My son is where he belongs. I shall do nothing to obtain his release from the penitentiary. And this is for quotation. I know he's safe where he is. Mrs. Stroud, I want to be sure. Are you saying you'd rather have him in there than free? You now oppose your own son's parole? I'm doing it for his own good. Uh, I was thinking that her, like, the switch she has between this warm mother and mm, this cold, bitter mother, that really changed abruptly for me. I didn't yeah. quite understand uh, when that change happened within her. And it seems to be like she goes to all that trouble to stop him from getting hung. Mm-hmm. You know, she goes to the president and all that kind of thing. And it, yeah, I, I found it slightly odd. But again, I think I, I was perhaps wondering if there was, you know, another slight, there's more to that story yeah. than was being let on. I certainly, it, it, like I say, it was quite jarring to suddenly see her go from that to that. And you're like, well, what's the kind of the motivation for that happening? But again, I think there is a kind of Oedipal thing yeah. that's that's at play, certainly. And that's another thing. I mean, if you think about the Maturian candidate, the um, the Angela Lansbury character. Yeah, yeah. And her son, you know, there's that weird, I mean, that is literally a weirdly controlling relationship mm. in which she's putting this poor guy up to shooting someone. And yeah, it, it seems to be, um, yeah, well, it's certainly that there's echoes of it in The Birdman of Alcatraz with that and what what is her motivation why is she really acting like that i think it's one of those ones i'd have to i'd have to find out more about the actual case and probably watch it again to kind of pick up on some of the nuances that i didn't actually see in it Mm. i think that's probably one of the things i found lacking in the final hour hour and a half of the film where it seems to be completely obsessed with this um, man versus the system theme and it kind of lets go of those personal struggles that he is going through with the different relationships in his life yeah and it becomes when what it what it basically becomes is an essay on the prison system yes. and it's like it's like what do you think you know i don't think as a society that we've ever really worked out what prison's for mm-hmm. i think there's a real kind of is it for punishment is it to rehabilitate and if you do rehabilitate then what should happen to you mm. um you know is life without parole justifiable if you can like look at yourself you know at the end of this film he's just this old man who's obsessed with birds is that is he really a danger to society anymore well you'd probably have to say no but i mean the 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 fact of the matter is people didn't get sent to alcatraz for nothing that was where the worst of the worst Mm. were packed off to and then it seems it did seem a little bit odd to me that this kind of kindly old man you know gets shunted off to the place where they kept al capone Mm. and yeah, you know, it's in the system, and it and it starts to ask these questions, doesn't it? You know, because he gets this kind of following on the outside as well of advocates who are saying that you know he should be released, that he shouldn't, you know, he he, he doesn't pose any kind of danger, and it becomes yeah, it's it's it's, it's a social issue, it's a social conscience film, I think, is what it becomes mm. um, during its last part, and it 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 seems to be kind of it seems to be totally obsessed with that. Yeah. And then it just becomes more and more. And obviously it's wearing its heart on its sleeve. It's not subtle. It's definitely taking one very particular angle, which is, you know, this you know, what what this guy, should he be in prison still? You know, what are we doing to these people? Mm. Um, and it's, 
it, it's, I think it, it, the film sort of says it all really about society, which is this, if you can execute people and send them to life in prison, I think that's a very nihilistic take on humanity, mm. which is one which we have, you know, like the death sentence and things like that. Mm. It's, I mean, I personally find it appalling that countries kill people. Mm. Yeah, it goes down there, and it, you know, it's a film about prison film, and it's the eternal conversation that we're always having. It. Yeah, what, what what is prison? And I think this film is just an advocate for a more humane approach, which is obviously adds a half hour to it. Exactly. Yeah, and the the leniency and the humane treatment of prisoners, and exactly what is prison for? Is it rehabilitation? How do we expect these? men who have committed murders they're committed you know, criminal activities how do we expect them to go back out in society without falling back into the old ways or have some sort of um, feeling that they are different from the rest of us um, the feeling that I think the, the film deals with this how do we how do we um, stand when it comes to law and morals and justice but again it's hard to deal with that theme when the man who is the main character of the film he is a, he comes across as a man who puts his own morals above the social justice system yeah and well they've, they've specifically i mean they've created the character yeah. to yeah like i said it's, it's, it's to hammer home this point there's no ambiguity about mm. him he is a good man. He's in, you, you know, he has his honor. He has his integrity. He's yeah, a killer with yeah, compassion. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the first person he bumped off was obviously this dude who's hitting on a woman. The second one, he didn't let the, him see his guard, mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the guy, yeah, the guards hardly come across the guard. They don't exactly kind of. You don't cut to the guard's funeral, do you? With little Timmy crying that dad cop cop to shiv in the heart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, the guy's just a bit of a jobs worth asshole. Yeah. They're easy. They're, they're murders, which you can easily go. Yeah, but there is a context here, yeah. and I think with a film, you know, when he gets that sense of life, well, um, like a lot of them, it doesn't. It it puts you in a weird place because this guy, he, like I said, he's killed two people. Mm. It, it, just because he's a kind becomes, you know, obsessed with birds. I mean, if he has that impulse in him, is prison the best place for mm. him? Um, but the film never, I don't think, asks that question. It doesn't kind of go in that way, anyway, a, sh a shape or form at all. It just says, "Look, you know, here, we're putting these men to life in prison, and they're just broken too." And I, I don't think it goes for a particularly nuanced look at this person's situation at all. And it doesn't have to. I mean, I, you know, that's that's kind of me okay. wanting. Well, that well, that's that's me kind of projecting what i would like to see in the film more mm. I, I, I i'm more more than happy just to go along with it on its terms mm. and on its terms that's what it's saying you can either kind of buy it or not buy it mm. you're absolutely right uh, i think for me that's where it loses some of my interest when it refuses to go into those debates when it tells um the one-sided story that it does which um during the first hour, it kept me entertained, it kept me interested, but that point is just hammered home again and again that I felt that what else are you going to give me? What else, what other sort of friction can you give me to keep me interested? Um, and it, it, Well, I, I, tell you, I tell you what it does do in that department. It gives you a war scene. <laughs> that, that's what it does. I mean, you know, it kind of... it. it, it that's, again, where I was sort of a little bit like, oh, where you have the Battle of Alcatraz. Yeah. And I think that kind of, that felt incredibly shoehorned in there mm -hmm. to make up for what I felt was a kind of lack of dramatic tension for the previous half an hour. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was kind of struggling to understand what sort of, why is this in the movie? Why, what sort of message does it send that hasn't already been told throughout the movie? And it seems to portray Lancaster's character Stroud as something different than all the other inmates, which kind of works against what the film is trying to say. Yeah, well, I haven't really I... thought this through, but it just come across me now that it it sort of uh, the character of Stroud becomes something completely different than the other inmates. This place is now he's outgrown prison. Yeah, he he's too good for prison now. He is, you know, just this kind of older man who he's tight he's done his time mm. and yet they're keeping him in this place yeah. 
and and when that kind of battle breaks out uh, it, it becomes almost christ-like he's able to walk through all the carnage and the bullets and the rockets hitting the building mm-hmm. with almost complete impunity mm-hmm. you know nothing gets near him and then he kind of symbolically throws the guns out and stops the battle and you know brings law and order and all that kind of thing how the hell do you know i tell you he he might have lived if he put up a fight what's wrong with knocking yourself off in a maggot pile like this what i said what's wrong with dying what's wrong with dying because life's too precious a gift because the first duty of life is to live i felt it was indicative of the fact that the film is half an hour too long <clears throat> that was my main issue with it and like i said i mean i operate a policy now where i put my phone in another room and i just refuse to you know go near it when i watch it so i can be more invested in what i'm seeing <clears throat> and you know kind of sit down on that things and i was like right come on we need to kind of wrap this up now folks <clears throat> and when that kind of final battle came which did happen in real life, you know, it was an actual thing. Mm. Um, there was, you know, a, a, you know, involving, you know, I think Alcatraz was actually hit by mortar fire as well. You know, I think it was a, a full-on battle. But the battle itself, I didn't think it had a, any kind of particular great dramatic impetus to mm. it. And I was just like, right, again, we've gone, you know, like I said a, a bit ago about allegory. And I was like, we've, we've really hit that now yeah. to the point of where it's like, okay, I, I get your point. You know, I, I get what you're trying to say. I get that. Mm. Um, you've kind of lost me now a little bit. I, I, I wouldn't say I was past caring, but I, was, I felt like the film had said everything that it needed to say about 30 minutes before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about the title itself, uh, The Birdman of Alcatraz. You were talking about um, expecting some sort of prison escape movie or um, something at least completely different. I was in the same spot where I was thinking about Clint Eastwood and his escape from Alcatraz. Yes. <laughs> but um, the title, he he doesn't really have birds in Alcatraz, did he? Uh, no. And No, and again, it's the bird, you know, bird in a cage, isn't yeah. it? You can get onto the alley, you can get onto the metaphor as much as you like. He's, he's, he's as much trapped in those cages as those birds are. And like the bird man of Alcatraz, you know, he just wants to fly free and you know, but obviously birds that are living cages are never truly free and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I actually think it's because Alcatraz is a bigger selling point. Yeah, I was thinking that it could just have been called like the Birdman or something because he, he's yeah, only... The story, the story of Robert, you know, Robert Stroud yeah, or something exactly. like that or, or Birdman or something like that. I, I, feel the, I feel the Alcatraz is in there for advertising purposes. I think it's a marketing you know it, it wasn't called jack and rose it was called titanic it just seems it was you know it, that, that's how i thought it was yeah. it's just a, a unique selling point yeah, for yeah. The film. difficult film to to talk about for me because of the uh, dichotomy between the the story that i was sort of expecting the story that i was told the story that is behind the film itself i can admire it for many of its qualities like the pictures how it deals with certain important themes about the social justice system and how we treat other human beings. Um, But it is difficult aligning that with all the issues that we have uh, talked about until now. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, you can, I suppose there's two options. You can make it a a film, you can make it a purely fictional Mm. film about someone who murders someone accidentally in a bar yeah. and then goes through this epic tale. But, but perhaps by having it apparently a true story or going down that mm-hmm. route is that I think it adds more urgency to the cause and to the point that the film's trying to make. Mm. It's, it becomes intimate. You know, you, you, the conversation becomes, well, yeah, that's an actual real person mm. as opposed to a fictional. A fictional person, you can kind of... Yeah, they, they they don't exist. You know, they, 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 they just they just exist in you know the imagination or the kind of the wonder film. A real person and based on a true story, that person's out there. And at the time, don't, don't forget, obviously he was alive mm. at the time. That's someone who you can point to in the real world, and especially from a kind of film perspective, you can say, look, this 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 happened to this guy. He's still in prison. What do you think about it? And it provokes. I think the, the purpose of the film is to provoke a bigger conversation. It's to to, to have people. You know, advocate for prison reform, for prison change, mm. and again, that's why I sort of give the film a pass in many mm. respects. 
because I think it's wearing its harness. If it's not trying to deceive you, I don't think in what it's trying to say. I think this, the portrayal of the character is slightly disingenuous with what we know in real life. It's very, it's a black and white character. Mm. I think when it, it, you know, it obviously, you know, at the start where he's a bit of a hothead and he's stuffing people up and things like that. But after that, he just, you know, it's, I, I, I never, I never had the expectation of it being subtle or it being trying to do anything like fair or realistic i just thought i'm here to be i'm here to have a lesson basically mm. and this is the guy that you've chosen to present that lesson to me and i think when because I, I sort of made peace with that i found i i was able to sort of get over the humps that you describe mm. and kind of go along with it now what i think ultimately what began to happen was it i thought it became quite repetitive mm. Um, to a degree and I was like I felt it was anticlimactic to a degree yeah. and the, some of it was a bit well like I said like the, the lack of subtlety like when the plane flies over and he's able to tell what model <laughs> plane it is and he says something like oh well just because you know I'm not out here doesn't mean my mind isn't or something like that and I was like oh come We've on heard this before. <laughs> yeah I was like come on and yeah like when, when the battle came along I was just like this battle has no dramatic impetus for me it feels like it's in there mm. it's a trailer moment isn't mm. it the bird man of Alcatraz then you can cut to machine gun fire that's an exciting film yeah. um, you're not going to you're not going to get people into the cinema by going here's a two and a half hour lecture that's going to challenge your opinion on prison film and I dare say there's a lot of people who would have watched this film at the time and thought good he should be in prison mm. for a very long time <laughs> you know? and that they're not the ones who are going to come if you try and sell them that journey no. Warden Shoemaker died in 1953 my book was published two years later it is not known if its publication and the ensuing protests influenced the decision of authorities but in 1959 the old man was finally allowed to leave the rock it was not a release, however, but a transfer to another prison. Mr. Stroud, how's it feel to get off the rock? Well, if you San Franciscans had a true civic pride, you'd blow that place out of the water. Instead of advertising it, what an ISO. Is it true you've never seen a television set? Yes, but from what I hear, I haven't missed very much. <laughs> If you're paroled, do you think you can adjust to the modern world with its rockets and missiles in outer space? Why, what's so special about your modern world, son? Boeing 707 weighs 247,000 pounds, carries a payload of 22,000. Each engine has a thrust of 13,000 pounds, cruises at 595 miles an hour. Just because a man's in prison doesn't mean he's a boob. Will they allow you to work with birds where you're going? I'm afraid not. In the eyes of the prison bureau, avian research is, as you boys might put it, for the birds. All right. Uh, just one more question. Do you have any uh, particular new uh, project in mind? Nothing specific. I pass the time profitably. I read a great deal, reflect. I might even spend a pleasant hour measuring the size of a cloud. Go ahead. Thanks, Mr. Strauss. All right. Good luck to you. I was also thinking about the... Um how the, it, the book ends of the film, uh, how it starts with the narrator or the, um, the actor played... The author yeah, of the book. The, uh, yeah. Played by an actor. I don't really... I don't, I don't think it's the real yeah. author. No, 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 no. no, no. It's, it's... Um, that also, in, a, in and of itself, it feels kind of forced in there. Um, I would much rather yeah. have just Stroud's story told without all of this extra padding around it. Yeah, it's like the opening of Papillon, isn't it? Where you just see him being marched into those hideous ships. Yes. You, don't, you don't need to know anything else more about them, those guys. Mm. You know, they're prisoners going to a very bad place. Mm. And, the, and the, you know, the opening of that film always makes me never want to go to prison. <laughs> and it's like, and that, that he has this, well, it, it, it's that, it, it, again, it's the, the kind of the segue into the mm. film, isn't it? It's to make you fit, it's to break the, the, the fourth wall. I never like it when films do that anyway. Mm. It really, there's only one ex, one example I can think where it doesn't really grate on me. But it's that kind of look, you know, they, they used to do it in the 30s when they used to make gangster films. You know, they'd put these kind of like statements up at the start of the film, like this is a direct personal plea yeah. to, to, the, to the American government to solve gun crime. And then it, it's like that. It's this kind of, this guy introducing the film establishing that it's a real person yeah. making you you know you, 
And I think it's kind of like almost like a confidence trick because it's like, this is a real person. Mm -hmm. This is actually, this is it. And it's then trying to take for granted that you're just going to believe outright in what you're seeing Mm. is actually reality. Mm. It does align with how Frank and I wants us to perceive the movie. Yeah, it definitely did. Yeah, so. Um, I was also thinking about the the score for this film, which I found was quite forgettable at times. Um, it's, as soon as you said that, I was, I was trying to think of anything about it, and I can't think about the score. I was thinking at all. I, I I I can't I can't remember it. I can't remember any themes for it, no. and which is surprising for an Elmer Burns exactly score as well. I mean, this guy is that he's, he's Mr. Hook Central, yeah, isn't yeah. he? Like the Great Escape and. Um, uh, Ghostbusters even isn't it and, and Cape Fear and films like that and yeah he's someone who I, I was surprised actually because I didn't realise it was Elmer Bernstein until I you know, looked at the credits of the film afterwards and I thought wow that is quite a um, yeah it's a, it's a very nondescript score it doesn't have huge swelling moments mm. does it it doesn't have the kind of the peaks that one would think no. there's an underlying underlying like dramatic tension in those opening scenes uh, and in that opening score uh, with Saul Bass's credits rolling in. But other than that, I found that I was sort of wishing for something perhaps to help with dramatic tension, perhaps um, if there was some sort of underlying score that could help us along. Yeah. Uh, no, it, but again, it's not that no. film, is it? I don't think that. I think that's the... Uh... That, that that's the kind of the thing. it's a surprising film mm. to me i i thought anyway it, it's always interesting when you go in with a certain degree of expectations and then have them kind of roundly kind of disappear on you yeah. and uh yeah like i said it, it it's not a film that has those moments like it doesn't have the big huggy moment between two characters and the score swells and all that kind of thing it's it's, it's devoid of i think what's the word like over emphasizing film emotions mm-hmm. you know the big teary moments or the big mo- like i mean like the teddy savalas character mm. when he when he leaves the prison that's the type of thing where you would you know perhaps in another film there'd be a big deal about mm. that and you'd have this big orchestral moment where the two guys who are kind of antagonistic towards each other go their separate ways and but we don't have any of that mm. in this film at all and also with the relationship with um uh, the Thelma Ritter character, um, what was she called? Stella. You don't really get their connection beyond a business level, uh, but it tells us in so many words that they are uh, important for one another, but you never really... That's not what it wants to portray for us. Um, that's not the relationship no. that it's interested in telling. Um, we don't know her outside the prison, no. do we? But they, we, we, don't, we, we don't see anything of her setting up the business and taking all the orders and clearly beginning to fall for yeah. him you don't get anything like that whatsoever no. she sort of takes the mantle from the mother um yeah but other than that there's no real um understanding of her character um another relationship that i wanted to talk about was uh, with the warden the call carl molden character yes that is quite an he he sort of becomes the symbol for this uh, rigid justice system um to a point where I feel like he, he could have either become more uh, more evil than he was. Well, I, I think towards the end, there's a kind of begrudging respect between the two. Yeah. I think like, because there's, there's, a, there's a really good scene where Carl Morton, he, he's just come back from the funeral and he's like, you know, you're going to rot in here and all that kind of yeah. thing. And then he kind of goes off. But then when he kind of comes back into the prison after he kind of comes back with the kind of the offer that they're going to make mm. him, the, the kind of relationship between he's like sit down let's talk this through and it's quite they're quite gentle the kind of the antag the antagonism between them has gone it did remind me how much i just love carl morton mm. though um he's he just brings such he's such a great character actor mm. i think and he, he I, I think he makes that character quite believable and sympathetic i didn't see him or feel that he was particularly evil mm. he's someone who's he, yeah he's, he's obviously got a kind of a vision as it were yeah. But I don't think, I don't think you judge him too harshly. I'm, well, or at least I certainly no. didn't. I, I, I felt that he had a valid perspective yeah. on what he was doing, and I think again that's another thing I did like about the screenplay. Yeah. Um, it, it, it did kind of, I think. I, I never felt like, oh, here comes the big bad mm-hmm. guy. 
I, I just thought, I mean, I, I didn't necessarily agree with what he's doing, but I agreed with the integrity behind what he was doing, or from his personal, his personal integrity into what he was yeah. doing. And a scene where he explains, like, look at where we're coming from, look at what I'm trying yeah. to do, at least, within the confounds yes. of this system. I'm confiscating this manuscript, Bob. So you read it? Enough to realize that it's a blast at the entire penal system. You're in serious trouble. The Bureau has known for months what you were writing. You haven't told me what you think of it. I resent this personally. I stand high in my profession, and I believe I've earned that esteem. I am proud of the advances that I have helped to inaugurate. Now, you think back to the old times, leg irons, carrying the iron ball, stripes, corporal punishment, indefinite periods in the hole. Well, I have been instrumental in abolishing that kind of treatment. Yes, that's true, Harvey. Furthermore, you completely ignore my fight for a constructive work program. Like making belt buckles? Or running a drill press? Oh, I see. My entire career has been for nothing. I'm all wrong and you're all right. I'm not talking about one tree, Harvey. I'm talking about the whole forest. I haven't spent most of my life behind bars for nothing. I've reached a few conclusions about penology and a couple of them may be valid. When you first came here, I thought you were changed. I was even planning to return you to the general prison population. And now this. Well, you're not going to get away with it. The Bureau has suggested that all your privileges be suspended, and you know what that means here. You know better than try to frighten me, Harvey, at this late date. Damn your heart. Do you think that I want to go on punishing you? Now, we've grown old together in penitentiaries, and in all that time, I've only asked one thing from you, cooperation. The only thing I've ever gotten back was defiance. Not once have you ever shown a sign of rehabilitation. Yeah, I mean, even when it talks about taking animals away, there is, like, as far as I can see, legitimate reasons for doing mm -hmm. it. Um, there's obviously disease issues. Mm -hmm. They've got to be fed. They're causing squabbles between inmates. Prison, you want the people in the prison to kind of be as... You, you can't have, like, cholera outbreaks, can mm. you? Or septicemia running amok. And I actually, this wasn't just about punishment. There did seem to be some kind of logical reason for doing what they were doing. Mm. It's just that because, obviously, in the character of this case, you know it's going to, you know, you know how much it means yeah. to him. And I was, I was just left wishing for more <laughs> more with Carl Malden. I think that yeah. the more the characters around Stroud are as as interesting in how they deal with this situation as the Stroud character. And I feel Well the the, 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 the point that gets me is the guard when he's like, Why are you always rude yeah. to me? I thought that was a great scene. Well now what do you want? A box you're sitting on. Looks tough. Just an apple box you could get another. That good. Well, but I ain't. Why not? I ain't so inclined. All right, I'll buy it off you. What do you want? One pack of cigarettes, two? Name it. Stroud, if you showed me a $100 bill, you couldn't have this box. What the hell is eating you? Twelve years I've known you, Stroud. Twelve years, sun up and sun down, I've had to look at that frozen mug of yours. And in all that time, never so much as a howdy-do out of you. I try to treat you decent because you got no better roses in there. So I put my head on a block and I dummy up about the birds. Did you say thanks, my boy? Did just once you say thanks? Or maybe I just didn't hear you. You're a soft speaker. You want, you, you want a pop bottle. You want a pop bottle. Do I hear maybe, maybe the word please someplace? Or could I be going thief? Hand over the, hand over the box, says you. Hand over the box, says you, like it was a Zara Rush or somebody. Well, you get this, bucko. I may be just a uniform to you, but you've got no patent on feelings. I'm a man, the same as you, and I want to be treated like one. So from here on out, you'd better come up with a few manners with me. Or don't even expect the time of day from yours truly. Mr. 
a ransom. You know what I think, Bull? I don't give a damn what you think. I think you're absolutely right. I admire you for sounding off like that. I had it coming. You always treated me square. You've been good to me. So there's something I want to do. I want to apologize to you. A really genuinely great scene because guards in prison are normally fairly barbaric, aren't they? And this guy, you can just imagine, he just goes home, does his job. And the fact that they grow old together, I thought was quite sweet. Mm -hmm. And they get that rapport and he's like, you know, the bird will never fly, it's yellow like you. Yeah, and at yeah. the end, it's you know, they, they sort of find this kind of... And it, again, it becomes who's the one who's actually in prison. You know, this guy who works this nine to five job at the prison for all his life mm -hmm. or this guy in the prison who this kind of amazing thing going on with these birds but I, I really did enjoy that relationship mm. um, did you have a chance to check out uh, some of the extras uh... um, I didn't I, I, my old lecturer is one of the people that does uh, Sheldon Hall oh, really? actually is uh, yeah yeah he was he's my old lecturer so I didn't actually get a chance to watch it but I will because Sheldon was always well, a brilliant lecturer and he always gives really interesting interviews on these masters he seems to be the master cinema's go-to man these days when it comes to talking about films so nice. and I noticed actually just just um, on a side note uh, Mastin, well, not Mastinum, but Eureka have just put out the Blu-ray of Cartoon. And um, I remember when I did Sheldon's course on epics at university, that was one of the films he showed, and he got like a really decent 35mm print of it, I think. Hmm. It might have even been a 70mm print, I can't remember now, but um, it was one of the real... It's a really interesting historical epic that I put out, and I really wanted them to put it out on the Master's Cinema. But just a quick side note, do check that out, and I think Sheldon does an extra on that as hmm. well. I think um, I haven't had a chance to check out the extras uh, myself, but I read that the audio commentary is definitely recommended. Um, they come across as uh, honest and genuine with one another, uh, as well as they are disagreeing with what they want the film to be, um, which is quite interesting. Um, it's, a, it's an earnest uh, commentary, which is not something you usually find on uh, audio commentaries on uh, films. So yeah, it's weird with audio commentaries. I mean, do you, st do you still listen to them? Uh, I haven't for the last like eighteen months or something. Um, I was yeah, religiously uh, it, uh, looking at everything yeah. before, but now uh, I don't have the time. So mm. um, it's interesting. It is. In the, I, I tend to have them on in the background. Yeah, and I've done it before where I rip an yeah. MP3 often and listen to them on my uh, phone or something like that on the way to work. I really do enjoy doing that. Yeah, I think that. That is something I'm going to try to do to uh, try to listen to more of your commentaries because yeah, finding time certainly. to sit down and watch a movie uh, or watch an audio commentary, um, I'd rather watch a different movie than usually. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, what did you think about uh, the transfer? I thought it, it looked like an older transfer from what I could see. It was a little muddy, but something that or something that hasn't really been recently put through the cleaners um it does look good it was uh, i think yeah it was good i thought it was just fine yeah. would be my kind of um my my my, my thoughts on it it's not the most it, it's it's not the best uh, transfer i've ever seen but it's certainly not a bad no. one at all um it, yeah, it works perfectly fine some of the close-ups were really good as well i thought and <laughs> um, i was thinking actually it was pretty filmed on either 35 or 50 millimeter lenses and I think it really, like I said, having watched it projected, I found, you know, those kind of the, the height and the scale of the film, I thought, was, was, was really interesting. And it did kind of preserve these kind of sharp edges of the bars and the walls and all that kind of mm. stuff. So overall, I thought it was good. My only issue was I thought the sound was a little bit fuzzy on this Blu-ray. Mm. There was a couple of moments where I, I, um, it sounded like it needed to be... Um, equalized a little bit better or there was like clipping on it or something like that and I did check it on two sets of speakers and I thought yeah it just sounded a little bit harsh in certain places mm. uh, finally the the cover for the film uh, I thought that it's uh, quite an interesting uh, cover for the blu-ray um, with the anything by Saul Bass yeah. is just yeah amazing I mean he's his work um, does adorn my walls and again that's yeah, it, it, anything. I, 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 always, I hesitate to use the word simple with Saul Bass, but it's just not fussy. Mm -hmm. And he just manages to do things with very minimal kind of seemingly minimal effort or just very simple graphics. Yeah. 
and it kind of he'll, he'll just break objects up with kind of black lines and things like that and you, 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 I, I find when I look at his work, your eye always follows a certain route mm. that he's obviously quite cleverly um, you know, worked out. I mean, I work with graphic designers and they're always kind of searching for this elusive way of catching your eye. And he just does it seemingly at will. Yeah. So I, I would gladly have sit sort that poster out and put it on my yeah. wall. All right. I think we've reached the end of our conversation. Yes. Uh, it's been lovely getting back into things uh, actually yes it is we shall start getting getting the uh, start churning more yes. out and thank you listener for being with us for all this time we've been we've been silent for a long time so hopefully yeah it's always been nice as well people on facebook had some really nice comments when i said we were coming back yeah. as well and uh, so certainly we can reward people's patience with a more regular output absolutely now. so uh thank you john for joining me thank you mate and until next time thank you for listening